With the Planet Fitness Black Card, you don't just get a great workout, you get a great perk out because your membership is packed with perks. Join for just $1 down and $24.99 a month. Sign up for the PF Black Card for $1 down and get all the perks. Deal ends November 22nd. See Home Club for details. Hey guys, before we jump into this week's new episode, I just want to take a second and thank all of you for listening and supporting the ABV podcast. Ross and I enjoy doing this show. We love it. We love craft beer. We love supporting our local craft breweries here in Louisiana as well. And we couldn't do it without you guys. As much fun as we have doing the show, it also takes a lot of time and, unfortunately, a lot of money to keep this show going. We're always updating our software for recording and editing purposes, replacing microphones and mic cables, as well as paying for hosting sites to keep the show online. And that's why we've started our very own Patreon page for the podcast. If you head over to patreon.com slash the ABV podcast, you can see how you can donate and help us keep the show online and to get it better. We'll have special rewards and episodes and mini episodes of the podcast that will only be available to our Patreon subscribers. So if you'd like to subscribe and donate and help us keep this show online, head over to patreon.com slash the ABV podcast and check it out for yourself. We couldn't do this show without you and we appreciate your support. Cafecito Coffee Roasters was started by two friends from across Louisiana that came together in Baton Rouge to share a common passion for specialty coffee. They focused their efforts on responsibly sourcing, craft roasting, and meticulously brewing the best coffees possible to serve their customers across the country. They take a different approach to great coffee. They believe that it doesn't have to be arrogant, snobbish, or patronizing. It just needs to be what it is, and that's great coffee. And like all great things, it should be enjoyed by everyone. They pay a higher price for their coffee, helping struggling farmers who in turn produce better quality coffee beans. They roast every batch to showcase the intrinsic quality of each of the coffees they find. They sample every single batch of coffee before it leaves their roastery. That's their motto, and that's why they are different, and that's why they aren't your average coffee roaster. Find them online as well at cafecito.com. That's C-A-F-E-C-I-T-E-A-U-X.com. Pelican Craft Brands is Louisiana's American craft-only distributor, and it's their passion to educate consumers and to help them in the discovery of U.S. independent and family-owned breweries. Quality is of the utmost importance to their team, and their retail relationships afford greater choice and selection as a result of their commitment to better beer. With partners like Southern Craft Brewing Company, Rally Cap Brewing Company, Astruma Beer Republic, and Wachita Brewing Company, and many more coming down the line soon, they're here to disrupt the market and help consumers discover new choice and selection in craft beer honk when you see their red trucks around town and always remember to pick up some craft beer and challenge the status quo craft beer cocktails wine and spirits we like drinking them and we like talking about them too And we do both right here on the ABV Podcast. What's up, everyone? It's Chuck P. This is the ABV Podcast. Coming at you today from Second Line Brewing here in New Orleans. First time here, but not first time having the beers. But this is a cool little spot. The roads here are kind of bumpy getting there. But besides that, 
in a, it's in a great location. It's nice that it's at the end of a dead-end street, too. That's pretty cool. We've got Mark Logan here with us. Mark, you're the owner, brewmaster, janitor, I'm, I'm all own, that. Owner, janitor, uh, fixer of things, packager of beer. Uh, <laughs> um, Gar Hatcher is actually our, our head brewer. He's, he's, he's out there right now on the floor okay. making beer. Nice. Um, but I haven't been able to brew a batch in probably a year and a half, two years now. Oh, wow. Okay. Just everything things. else keeping you busy. It's, it's a lot. That's, a, that's normally how it works. Yeah. <laughs> and we've got Matt Bachman on the phone with us from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a long way from Louisiana. Matt, thank you for joining us, sir. Yeah, my pleasure. So we're here to talk about beer, and we're here to talk about a specific beer in general, right, Mark? Well, yeah. Um, so... Some time ago, I was on uh, Milk the Funk, the Facebook page, and uh, started coming across all these references to lactic acid yeasts, and uh, we started playing with a few of them, and that, that's how I met Matt. And, uh, you know, along the way, we've been really, really happy with the product that's come out of it. Um, and, in fact, we have a beer out now called Yeah, You're Ripe. We're getting ready to release the second batch. Um, so it's a fruited sour with uh, red currant and guava. Um, you know, the, the nice thing about this is, you know, as a production brewery who has four or five ales as part of their, their core rotation, um, and we're, we're naturally concerned with the risks of, you know, lacto and PDO infections and things like that. And I've never really had a, a fondness for the kettle sour approach. So, uh, you know, after a little research, getting with Matt and trying the yeast out, um, we, we thought we were really on to something with these lactic acid yeasts. And uh, uh, as a research scientist or former research scientist, um, you know, I'm just pretty intrigued by the, uh, not only the, the biology of it all, but, you know, the implications for us as a, as a brewery and other breweries. So why, why do you not gravitate towards kettle sours like what's what's the turn off on that for you um you know i and and you know matt feel free to chime in on this uh this is just my personal bias uh i really love the traditional sours um you know post-fermentation infection appropriate aging um you know we all understand the economic imperative of cranking out a sour quickly they're in demand uh and time is money in the production space uh but they often come out with you know either off flavors or aromas mm-hmm. because you know the kettle wasn't sealed up well enough or something went wrong they either underpitched or overpitched and then a lot of times the the acidity of it comes out to be very one note okay um, so it lacks a little bit of complexity uh, and what we're finding using these these yeasts from from wild pitch is uh, you know we get a nice balanced acidity uh, it's a little rounder it's a little softer and uh, there are additional elements involved in it too so i pick up a little little phenolics like you would with a saison um and so for us that's just another another option for us to create an interesting flavor profile okay do you guys have a separate room here that you do do that in isn't there like you like what's the thing where they introduce bacteria isn't that how most sours are done yeah, yeah. Because so, you don't have to worry about cross-contamination and infection and stuff like that. Well, so the, the benefit of the kettle sour is you, you do the infection in your kettle on your yeah. wort, and then you boil it, and that, that helps eliminate, you know, your concern for infecting hoses and tri-clamp gaskets mm-hmm. and fermenters and things like that. Um, the beauty of this is we just ferment this beer like anything else. We don't segregate hoses, tri-clamps, or anything like this. This is a well-behaved 
yeast. I was about to ask that, so that's because of the yeast. Yep. So, Matt, give us a little background on this yeast that they're using here over at Second Line. <clears throat> yeah, this is uh, this is our strain called WYP39, so that just stands for Wild Yeast Project, which was a, a yeast hunting project we had going, oh, this was a few years ago now. Uh, we actually had um, brewers in the state of Indiana um, submitting samples of you know, stuff from their from their breweries, from their yards, from wherever they like to go hiking. Um, it's a it's a strain of Latantia, um, Latantia fermentati, I believe. There, there's another strain, uh, another species called Latantia thermotolerans. Um, they're both known lactic acid producers, um, and like Mark said, it's you know it's it's not just making lactic acid and ethanol. You know, it, it's got some uh, it's got some nice aromatics with it. It's got a little uh, sort of a, a Belgian phenolic thing going. Um, and just to you know to circle back to the the kettle sour versus uh, you know a, a pure yeast only sour, you're also not tying up your brew kettle this way. You know, so depending on a brewery's production schedule, uh, you might not have. 24 hours or 48 hours uh, to tie up your kettle to, to do a kettle sour, um, and if you you know if you use a yeast this way, you just make your work like you normally would, transfer it to a fermenter, and away you go. Okay, that makes sense. I, as much as I've been around craft beer industry and like working at breweries, uh, the brewing the brewing process still like amazes me at how in some ways it's a simple process and in how some ways it's a very technical process depending on the style of beer that you're brewing so the the whole thing with yeast is uh, to me that's it's it's kind of mind-boggling like, and just the process behind all that so how did you discover matt like how did you come across him and finding that yeast and realizing that would be what you would need to make this beer um so like I said, I was on Milk the Funk, and uh, they have an archive, so mm-hmm. they'll they kind of go through and they do a really great job of outlining the various strains, um, you know, attenuation, things like that. Uh, and then you know, Matt came up, and um, I, I'd reached out to a bunch of people, but Matt was incredibly responsive on his, you know, getting back to me. Um, he had a nice catalog of yeast strains. Okay. Um, I was naturally attracted to the fact that he's a biochemist, so uh, you know I, I figured he would have the attention to detail necessary to introduce something new into our brewery. Yeah. Um, and he's been excellent. You know, we're we are able to coordinate delivery times and hit all those those marks that a production brewery looks for when 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 purchasing. You know, we we're scheduled out several weeks in advance, and so if I know I'm going to brew the Lachancia beer on Tuesday. Um, you know, it's imperative that that shows up on Tuesday. Otherwise, yeah. it throws our whole production schedule off. Um. So, Matt, a question for you. How, so, I'm, I'm looking at your bio right now, and it says that you are a molecular and, and cellular biochemist. That's a, that's a, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a mouthful right there. That's a mouthful, yeah. <laughs> so, how does a molecular and cellular biochemist get involved with craft beer? Are you a craft beer drinker? Are you a craft beer fan? Uh, I, I'm a. I wouldn't call myself a beer geek. Um, I'm a. I'm a beer enthusiast, maybe. Okay. Um, but yeah, you know, I. You know, I, I come from a family tradition of brewing, so I'm part of. Well, the the end result of uh, German immigrants to, to Pennsylvania that that were brewmasters in Pittsburgh. Um, my my grandmother uh, used to make wine. Uh, my dad made some wine, and then I I got the family back into brewing as as a home brewer. Um, 
when I got out of college, and actually, actually when I was in college a bit too, um, and you know, college is also where I got into the research science, and uh, you know, sort of by hook or by crook, I've been in research labs uh, since the early 2000s uh, that have focused on yeast as as their uh, their main tool uh, to study biology. And so, you know, I was sitting at home one day homebrewing and like you know it's pretty dumb that I, I keep buying yeast when i can just make <laughs> this and store this in the lab uh and it's all been downhill since then so <laughs> <laughs> someone that's that's something someone doesn't say on a regular basis you know why am i why am i buying yeah. this yeast? i can just make it <laughs> like you know that's sitting on your couch one day watching tv like this you know what i've got an idea so mark same question for you oh i'm sorry go ahead matt I was gonna say it, it took it took a surprising amount of time for my brain to make that connection. So. <laughs> <laughs> took a little while, but luckily you did come with that connection, so that's awesome. Uh, but Mark, same question for you. Like you, you have a, you're a chemist. That's that's your that's your forte. How did you come into the craft beer world? Like when did you discover craft beer, and, and you decided that hey, I'm gonna open a brewery? Oh, geez. Uh, so. Uh, <laughs> So my wife and I like beer a lot. That's that always step one. That's a good thing to have. And, you want to like beer. And uh, she had uh, she had gotten relocated for her job to Alaska, so we did a, a temporary stint in Alaska. And uh, at the time, our son was relatively young. He took long naps, and we needed <laughs> that's we needed, good. We had like a four or five hour window where you know it's not like we could just leave the kid at home napping. So yeah. we had to find something to do there, <laughs> and uh, and so I. Finally got a kegerator just for our home use, and I said, well, you know, now I can eliminate the, the nightmare of bottling and just go straight into kegs. And so once that barrier was down, we started brewing, and uh, within, I don't know, six months, we had six taps in the living room. We're brewing every weekend. In the living room. That's convenient yeah. right there. <clears throat> I, like, I want that in my house. That's a good <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, you know, I, 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 had a, I had a kegerator, a uh, keezer. That I had built out of a chest freezer, and uh, I made sure it looked nice. And uh, the wife said I could put it in the living room. So nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it was good. And then at that point, um, you know, we also started going to a lot of the craft breweries in Alaska, and we started observing how involved they were in the community. Yeah. So when you say a lot of craft breweries in Alaska, how many craft breweries in that area were you at? So just in the Anchorage area, I think there were ten okay. or eleven. Um, more which, than I, more than I would think. Yes, yes, and you know, and per capita, I mean, there's only 750,000 people yeah. in Alaska. So in terms of per capita, it, it's not insignificant. It's probably more than than Louisiana. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then we also did a lot of time in the Pacific Northwest. So uh, when when we took a holiday, when we got tired of all the snow and ice, we would go down to Seattle and Bend and places like that. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah, so we, we kind of, we dug the culture. We dug the fact that most of the breweries are tied very closely to the community and to their neighborhoods, um, providing, you know, good jobs and uh, a great place for people to come hang out and socialize. So my wife, who was more of the business person, started looking at the numbers. And, uh, you know, one day we just said, well, shit, let's open a brewery. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Why not? <clears throat> And we rented the building off of Craigslist. I'd, I hadn't been in the building before. I had my brother-in-law come check it out. And he's like, it's building. Yeah, you can put stuff in it. And exactly. It's big. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, it was all downhill after that. We, we leased the building and uh, returned to New Orleans six months later and nice. started construction. So y'all are originally from here? My wife is, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Where, where are you from? Uh, I'm a military brat. So oh, so you've everywhere. 
everywhere. <laughs> Literally everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. In nice. Fact, so, uh, so Matt, what's uh, and this is probably a stupid question. How's the craft beer scene in Pittsburgh? <laughs> uh, well, so I'm I'm originally from Pittsburgh. I'm in uh, Bloomington, Indiana now. Okay, all right. I've been to Bloomington once. Yeah, yeah I have. Yeah, that was it. That's where I was. <laughs> I had to think about that for a second. So, all right. So, what's the what's the craft beer scene like in Bloomington? Uh, it's it's. Not as good as it is in Indianapolis. <laughs> no, I, I, I can't complain. I mean, Bl- Bloomington, it's, it's, not a, it's not a big city, but I'm not a big city kind of guy, so it's, it's just my speed. Um, you know, we've got, uh, it must be a half dozen, give or take, um, breweries in town, uh, including Upland, uh, Upland Brewing, which is one of the, the bigger ones in the mm-hmm. state. Um, and then we've got, you know, nano breweries, uh, uh, down the size of function brewing, uh, which is, you know, mix, mix some of the, the best, best beer in town. You know, when I want to take somebody for a sampler, we go to function cause they always have something new, uh, new and exciting to drink. But, you know, I, I moved here in 2013 and I think there were 60 breweries total in the state. And now Indianapolis probably has more than 60. So there's, you know, we're, we're on our way to, to 200 um, craft breweries in the, the state of Indiana. Nice. There's a there's a brewery I've recently discovered from Indiana, and I can't remember the city exactly, but it's 450 North. Oh, 450 North. Yeah, that's uh, just outside of Columbus, Indiana, to the east of us. Okay, those guys are doing some cool stuff. They're doing like these uh, slushy beers, mm-hmm. like just Berliner Weisses with you know different fruits and stuff like that. But it, they're really really good. And I've a, a friend of mine who has a friend who gets him beers from there. I, he, I've been able to get a few from him. And what I've had so far has been really great. It's some really good stuff. So I'm, yeah. I was kind of interested. Like, that's really the only beer I've had from Indiana. So I'm just kind of curious about what yeah, else well, is up 450 there. 450 North is, they're great. They've got a, um, their, their facility is right near a big cornfield. And so they've got a corn maze beer fest every fall. It's really awesome. Nice. Uh, oh, yeah, I, they, they make great beer. Yeah, I saw, I, I saw something on their Instagram of, page about the corn maze and looked pretty awesome it was huge like an aerial photo looked pretty pretty yeah, badass <laughs> so so mark uh second line has been open for how long i don't want to say the wrong year <laughs> right about four years okay i was gonna say three so i was close so uh opening up a brewery here in new orleans three years ago we had NOLA, obviously, Urban South. Yeah, we opened before Urban South. Opened before Urban yeah. South. That's true. Yeah, yeah, because they just they just celebrated their three-year anniversary. Yeah. So what was that like opening up around that time in New Orleans with the craft beer scene? The way it, it, the craft beer scene's always been good here in New Orleans, but it seems like it's, it's increased and gotten a whole lot better in the last few years. Yeah. Yeah, I think more and more people are uh, starting to understand uh, the value of drinking a local beer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think increasingly everybody's beer is getting better so now there's there's less of an issue it's like i really want to drink a, a good beer um that tastes great it's got a nice flavor profile there's no off flavors and i want to drink a local one and it's easy enough to do now yeah um you know three years ago we were all um getting our legs under us figuring things out so um you know maybe a little bit of a rocky start on some things um but uh, I, I think if you established yourself three years ago, you kind of hit a sweet spot. I think increasingly it's becoming a little more challenging to open up a craft beer just because there's lots of competition in the market. Yeah. 
you know, the big uh, buzzword in the industry right now are hard seltzers. God, yes. And, and well, you know, the amazing <laughs> thing is how quickly everybody's jumped on the bandwagon. Yeah. Um, which, you know, for me is kind of troubling. I can understand if you're one of the big guys and, you know, you want to do that. But, you know, as craft brewers, I see a lot of people starting out to do hard seltzers now. And, you know, you're a, you know, a 5,000 barrel a year brewery. Do you really want to, you know, go down that road and not that investment yeah and it's when, just it's just a fad i mean it's true. gonna fade and you know i'd say in a couple years nobody's gonna be drinking hard seltzers well they'll still be drinking it but it won't be as popular and mainstream as it is right now it's everybody like you said everybody's making one and yep. everybody wants to drink them i don't really i don't i don't like sparkling water so i don't like you know i don't like the fizzy just give me beer <laughs> i'm just not a fan of it my roommate he loves it there's like i think there's a he, there's a case of Truly or White Claw yeah. or something in my fridge, and I'm just like, that's taking space for beer I need to put in there. Well, I, I think it's important, and it's just my, my personal opinion, uh, that we stay true to what we do, which is we make beer. Yeah. Um, I think we need to continue to become innovative. So, you know, I like to see things like the, the, the smoothie sours and the... Um, you know the milkshake IPAs, yeah. and, and that's one of the reasons why you know I'm, I've been really enthusiastic about working with Matt and uh, these yeast strains. We're excited about playing with some more, um, but you know we have constraints that we have to work in. We have to uh, meet the demands of our, our distributor. You know sales are growing at a, a nice brisk pace, so we, we we have to constantly balance between innovation and fun mm -hmm. and the stuff that pays the bills. Yeah, uh, but I, I do think that that the kind of work that that matt is doing and, and offering these yeasts to us commercial brewers um will eventually pay off and it's part of you know one of the reasons why i wanted to involve him in this podcast today was to really kind of get the word out there that this opens up an entirely new avenue for brewers to create new flavor profiles that you know, before would have been really difficult to do, especially if you have limited resources. You don't have the ability to have separate equipment in a separate space to do your sours mm -hmm. and, and wild and spawns. So not uh, everybody can be <clears throat> Nolan and build a whole special room. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, give us time. Yeah. I mean, we, we all have. We all aspire to be um, as good as we can possibly be. Uh, it, you know, I, I don't think there are many brewers or breweries out there that just, you know, aspire to be mediocre. Um, but again, this is, you know, this is an opportunity for us. And plus, you know, Matt also uh, offers some, some valuable options for those people who uh, are into their own yeast wrangling. So they okay. would like to come up with their own house strain potentially of Lachancia or just say they've, they've got a really great, you know, uh, microbial mix and they'd like to figure out what the heck's going on um, you know Matt can offer them services that give them insights into what's actually going on what strains are there and uh, gives them a better idea of what's going on in their fermentation so okay. these are valuable tools that you know unless you had a lot of money to run your own lab yeah you couldn't afford exactly so Matt if you can in layman's terms can you kind of explain the process of how you create this yeast that that mark is using yeah so um you know we we didn't set out to find yeast that could that could make sour beer uh we just we were looking for for local strains you know local is the buzzword across the industry across geography it doesn't really matter um 
so we, you know, we went out and we collected samples of stuff, fruit, flowers, tree bark, soil samples, whatever. And we had people, like I said, brewers from around the state. Um, my son, when he was two and three years old, would toddle around the yard and grab stuff with me. Um, <laughs> Put the kid to work and, early. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeast, yeast and bacteria, they're both microbes. They're both all over everything. So no matter where you are, you can go and find a local yeast there. And, um, you know, we, we take that back into the lab and we use, you know, essentially traditional microbiology uh, to enrich for the types of yeast we want and to select against everything else we don't want. So... You know, if you bring in an environmental sample, it's going to be covered in mold and bacteria and all the things you, you wouldn't want in beer. Um, and we can, we can grow it up in a special media that uh, selects against those types of things and enriches for the yeast. Um, and, you know, we, we've done that with do- dozens and dozens and dozens of samples. We've got probably 400 strains in our freezer now. Um, and then we've done a bunch of tests to try to figure out, you know, where, where are the needles in the haystack, right? Not all 400 of those are great brewing strains, um, but really at the end of the day, the proof is in the brewing. So we've brewed 400 test beers uh, and sat down and tasted every single one. Oh, that sounds um, horrible. And did, yeah. <laughs> Another <laughs> yeah, day at the office. I, I, tell, yeah. I, I tell people this, and like, oh, that, that sounds great, but you know, when you sit down to try 80 experimental beers, by about beer 20, it, it turns into work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right, I'll give you that. <laughs> and, and, you know, these, these aren't lovingly crafted, uh, you know, craft beers. These, these are experiments, too. So with, with the good comes the bad. We, yeah. We've got the things that are ni- nice and tart and fruity, and we've got stuff that just tastes like hot garbage. And so... Uh, we haven't marketed those strains yet, but if anybody wants hot garbage yeast, we, we've got it for you. <laughs> hey, that could be a new trend now. You know, they get instead of the hazy IPAs, you have, you know, hot garbage beers. <laughs> hot garbage stout. Yeah. <laughs> Here's something that no one here in Louisiana wants to hear, but unfortunately, it's pretty much the truth. Almost the entire lower part of the state is a flood zone. It's just a matter of low risk and high risk. And ever since what happened here in 2016, it's pretty much very important to have flood insurance here in South Louisiana. And that's where our friends in Athlon Insurance come in to help. They provide flood insurance through FEMA and other possible markets. And most of their carriers offer a discount on your homeowner's insurance for having flood coverage with them as well. So that's always a plus. You get a little break on the homeowner's insurance. And you need that here, man. We know how it floods around South Louisiana. We know how all it takes is for just a little bad weather to come through one weekend and we're all up shit's Creek. So let's be prepared. Let's call Dwayne and his team over at Athlon Insurance and get the coverage we need. 225-366-7530. That's the number. Give them a call and let them take a comprehensive look into all your insurance needs. But, you know, to, to prop up the yeast to, to a commercial scale, I mean, um, it's, it's basically the same thing brewers do. All yeast want to do is eat sugar and make baby yeast. Mm-hmm. And so we, we make a, you know, we call it chicken soup for the yeast soul. It's just essentially sugar water with vitamins and minerals in it. Uh, and we, we grow up yeast in, in large quantities and we sort of step it up, you know, tenfold every step along the way until we get uh, something appropriate for a, a, a brewing size batch, whether that's you know, one barrel of wort you're trying to ferment or 80 barrels. Okay. Uh, so besides Second Line, what other breweries are you working with with, with your yeast? 
you know, we're one of our big advantages uh, is being local, uh, especially geographically. You know, so we've worked with lots of the, the brewers um, in Indiana um, as well as Ohio. We're, we're big in Cincinnati for some reason. They, they love us over there. Um, so we we've worked with uh, with Upland, with Three Floyds, uh, Taxman, uh, Function Brewing, The Tap, all here in Indiana. Um, we've worked with people as, as far away as Guam. Um, uh, we're, we're in talks with Garage Project down in New Zealand to, to do a little bit of stuff, get them some strains. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, a little bit, a little bit of everybody here and there. And it, it tends to be word of mouth. They, they hear about us or, uh, like Mark said, they, they get on maybe milk the funk, um, on the wiki or the, the Facebook page and, uh, hear about the ridiculous things we do and, and come calling. Awesome. So I'm also going to ask you a question that I asked Mark right when I got here. <laughs> How easy is it for you to make crystal meth? <laughs> is Breaking Bad lying to me? <laughs> we don't make crystal meth. The yeast does. But no. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> so, so Mark, uh, this this yeast that you're using the beard. Tell us about the beer that it's going that you're using it for. Yeah, so yeah, you're right. Um, just you know, a play on the colloquialism. Yeah, you're right. Uh, we started playing with it. Uh, we like the flavor profile of the yeast. It's a it's a fairly straightforward grain bill. Um, not a lot of hops in this since we had naturally well the first batches we wanted to just see without any sort of extra influence what kind of flavors mm-hmm. we were getting from the yeast itself and then from there we said well this would go really well with fruit things that are you know slightly acidic um, themselves um, and and it just kind of went from there so we haven't done a whole lot of tweaks to the recipe simply because uh, we were really happy with it to begin with um, when adding some fruit that's a good thing um, you know but it's it's pretty straightforward it's Pilsner malt we use all Pilsner malt for all of our beers here uh, just because um, we have a, I, I got a buddy whose uh, family owns a, a malt house in Denmark whoa okay and so it's been in business for about 105 years now wow and so uh, we get all our malt from Denmark and it's great grain and uh, real cost-effective we have to do a little extra on the boil side um, but we haven't had any problems with any you know, okay. off flavors from sulfur compounds or anything like that. Um, so it's a fairly straightforward beer. It's 4.2%. Um, it's about 11 IBUs. It's highly effervescent. So I think we carb it up to about 2.8, 2.85. And uh, you know, the whole idea is it, it's hot as hell nine months out of the year here. Ten months out of the year. Yeah, I know. It's, it's growing, right? It's global warming. <laughs> global warming. It's happening. Uh, I mean, you know, Matt, right now, it's uh, you know, it's the beginning of October, and I think it's going to be like 97 degrees down here today. Yeah. Yeah, so it's... Well, that, that's what it was like up here last week, so we, we're feeling it, too. Yeah, but it's going to be like that here in, in, on Christmas. That's <laughs> <laughs> the thing. We're wearing shorts, and, like, it's... It's everybody's freaking out because there's a cold front coming next week, and it's like, ooh, at night it's going to get down to the mid 60s. Yeah, on the North Shore. That's yeah, the on North Shore. Yeah, on the North Shore. Yeah, here, down, down here it's like 75, yeah. 74. They're all like, let's, uh, let's make some gumbo. Like, no, it's still too hot. But I nah, make it. I'll still eat it. It's fine. Um, but it's a it's a fairly straightforward beer. Like I said, we just wanted something that was easy drinking, um, with an interesting flavor profile. Our, our goal is to introduce different fruits to it Mm -hmm. as it kind of gets hold so um you know we may not do the we've got another batch fermenting right now which is the the red currant and the guava um we've got additional 
flavor combinations for the batch after that. Uh, it just depends on what people like. Yeah. You know, if, if everybody likes this, then, you know, we may wait a couple more batches before we change things. Just because it's easier to buy all the raw ingredients in bulk. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, you buy a pallet of it, it's, it's much better than buying it, you know, a bucket at a time or something True. like that. True. The color on this beer is beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah, the color turned out really, really nice. Um, you know, it's a light blush. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's really fun to look at in a glass. Yeah, flavors are fantastic, easy drinking, perfect for, like you said, like a hot day like this. I mean, and with a low ABV. You just pound these suckers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unfortunately, that's what I did last night. Yeah, well, it happens. Now, is this is this only on tap, or is it going in production? Is it going to be in cans, or yeah? So we um, we released a limited amount of cans to the distributor and draft uh, with the first batch that we did at thirty barrels. Okay, are you with Southern Eagle Crescent Crown? We're, we're with Southern Crescent Crown. Crescent Crown. Okay. Yep. Uh, and so we'll do the same with this. I mean, we still have um, a few cans of the beer here. Uh, we, we, we really didn't want to push a whole bunch to the distributor. We just wanted to, to keep it here again. It's just one of those things yeah. where we just want to bring people in. Yep. And uh, have something unique <clears throat> that they can only get in, in the area. I mean, that's how you draw them in for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and so we'll probably continue to do the same. Although you know, our retail accounts really like to get a little bit of you know new and novel stuff in there. So you know, we we try to service a lot of the the hardcore craft accounts. You know, yeah. five hundred four craft reserve, craft beer cellar, Helios, yes. places like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we try to make sure that there's enough for them. Um, but you know, it's been really successful. Uh, a lot of people have given us a lot of positive feedback on it. So I can see this becoming you know part of a year-round core lineup in the nice. near future. So it means Matt, we're going to, have to talk about a volume deal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sounds good to me. Ramp up production. Let's do it. Yeah, we need. I, I need this beer where I'm at. So, like in the in the Gonzales Baton Rouge area, we, we need to, we need to be having these so we can go in our local supermarket. We have a we have a good store right by us, Harvest Supermarket. Okay. That Jackie Riley is their their beer and wine person, and she's been doing an incredible job with the craft beer selection. That place used to be a wasteland for craft beer back in the day, and in the last year or so, probably. It's been amazing. She's getting some good stuff in there. That's actually where I first had your beer. The first beer I had from you guys was Queen of New England. Oh, okay. And I was like, I haven't had a second line beer yet. Let me try it and fell in love with it. That's a great beer. Oh, thanks. Thanks. You know, that's, you know, we, we tried to introduce elements of the New England style on there. Yeah. It's a double on it's It's, it's a little tongue in cheek. You'd have to know my brewer to kind of understand his humor. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it, it's got a little more of an assertive bitterness than what you would expect. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we try to brew beer that people will like, but also that we like. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Gar and I, I'm, I'm older than Gar. I'm, I've been, you know, drinking IPAs for a long time, and I'm kind of like that first generation of West Coast IPAs. Yeah, that with dankness. And a nice, firm, assertive bitterness at the end. It makes me feel like, you know, I'm drinking an IPA. Yeah. Um, but the New England styles, we've got a couple. We've got one on tap right now, um, Third Side of the Universe which is uh, a little more along the lines of a New England IPA with some lactose in it, some really interesting hops. So, nice. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I miss the <clears throat> dankness sometimes of an old-style West Coast IPA. We've, we've talked about that a few times on the podcast. Uh, you know, just every now and then I'll go reach out, you know, get, get, grab me a Stone IPA or yep. something like that just to, just to remember because that's the first IPAs I, I was drinking was Stone IPAs. Absolutely. 
The original ruination? Oh, yeah. Oh, so good. Kill for an original ruination. I wish they wouldn't have discontinued that. That I know. So good. And then they changed, and they did they come out with like ruination 2.0 or something? Yeah, they did. And it was, I just. I don't even think I had that one. I tried it. It was, it was, it was just not the same. Well, your expectations were set so high. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know that pure centennial citrus grapefruit. It was awesome. It was so good. Someone recently. I was on Untapped and just going through there, seeing what people were drinking. And somebody, somebody had a Pliny oh, yeah, on there, okay. and they gave it like a three point two five or something like that. I'm like, what the hell are you thinking? Like, yeah. there's no way, there's no way. You 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 either so drunk or your palate was so wrecked yeah. you couldn't appreciate how awesome that beer is. So yeah, West. I'd like to see some someone around here do like a West Coast, like a true West Coast style IPA, but. I mean, it's not what's trending. It's not what people want. Well, we have a West Coast IPA right now. Do you? Okay. Yeah. 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 So, we, so we, we've always had one. We've, we've always stayed with the West Coast. I, I mean, like it. I like well, it. just because uh, we felt like there was always going to be a market for it. Would it be? There is. Would it be huge? Probably not. Yeah. But um, that's my wife and I's like go-to beer. So our West Coast IPA and so you have it on tap downstairs. We have it on tap and it's available in cans and bottles. So. What, what's it called? West Coast IPA. West Coast. Well, there you go. <laughs> Can't get any, any more specific than that. West Coast IPA. Well, you know, you figure you've, you've got the consumer's attention for a brief moment, or you, you've got the bartenders. Yeah. And so just spit it out. Say what it is. Um, so we just said West Coast IPA. Well, and the other problem was, uh, you know, if you put IPA on there, um, everybody's transitioning what may have been a, a, a core brand that mm-hmm. may have previously been a West Coast has now become more of a New England style. Yeah. And I didn't want people picking up one of our beers going, well, this sucks. I'm like, well, it's a West Coast IPA. It's not a New England IPA. Yeah. You have so. to make, make that known to them because they're right. so used to the hazy juice bombs. It's like, this isn't an IPA. No, it is. It's just, just yeah. Yeah, it's the West Coast. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, any collaborations down the line that uh, you guys possibly could be looking at with any of the breweries around here? Or? You know, I'm, I'm going to have to, I'm, I'm just starting to lean a lot more on my people. Um, and I know Gar has reached out to a few people about collaborations. Um, you know, my wife and I both still have careers. So, you know, we're both finding the time, finding the time. Um, you know, a lot of times we want to work more on the business than in the business. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're, we're letting a lot of our people reach out and establish those relationships. Uh, but right now, uh, you know, sales are up this year. Good. We're staying on top of production. We introduced cans earlier this year. So, uh, you know, getting the cans on, on point the way we wanted them. Yeah. You know, we had that previous conversation that the toughest thing I've encountered in the beer industry is... Um, besides dealing with the distributor, just kidding. Well, that's a, I'm that's just a, kidding. That's just a kidding. whole other long podcast we can have on that. Well, <laughs> well, you know the thing is, they, they got a lot of people, you know, nipping at their heels, asking for attention, and you know, yeah, they got resources just like the rest of us. But yeah. I'm, I'm currently a, a persona non grata with Mockler right now in Baton Rouge. They are not happy with me. And I kind of like that. You mind <laughs> sharing what you did to earn this reputation? Um, uh, so recently, LSU started serving beer. Yes. In Tiger Stadium, and their uh, their tap selection is horrible. It was a bunch of you know Bud, Bud Light, Michelob Ultra. Uh, their three craft taps were a bead of strawberry, which Mockley doesn't even have. That's Crescent Crown, 
and then uh, two Carbach taps out of out of Houston, which is owned by AB Inbev. Yes. So a lot of the you know local craft breweries in Baton Rouge started raising a funk about it, and I started raising a funk about it on the podcast page, and tagged Mockler in a post saying you should be ashamed of yourselves for not supporting your local craft breweries, <laughs> like. You like LSU yeah. paid money to Tin Roof, which is right down the street, yes. for a licensed LSU yes. beer, and it's not even on tap in the stadium. And, and you know, if somebody, if an organization at LSU needs a beer donation for a charitable event, or somebody to sponsor a fun run, or something like that, who are they going to reach out to? Yeah, yeah. It, I it, mean, so Tin Roof's been up there supporting them. All exactly. those breweries have. Yeah, it, it makes no sense. And a lot of the, a lot of the excuses where we didn't think any of these breweries could you know had had the had the function to keep up with the capacity that they would need and i'm like they would find a way to be in tiger stadium yes and you know everyone wasn't asking to be on every you know beer stand but i have a few sections in the in the stadium where you have that luxury to go and try some craft beers and i think They've changed it, and coming, I don't know if it started with, with where it's a Saturday, they're playing Utah State today, I don't know if, if it's in there today, but I think Tin Roof, Parish, yep. and Urban South are yep. going in there. Yep. So, apparently, they've, they've listened, or they just got tired of everybody bitching about it. But uh, So, I work at a radio station in Baton Rouge, and they were talking about getting a Mockler as, a, as an account to sponsor a friend of mine's show that I'm going to be producing. And they were like, yeah, they were all about it until they heard Chuck P was involved. And I was like, oh, really? I said, yeah. And I said, he, he's always talking trash about us. And I'm like, well, you had a, you had, Jacob Talley was their craft beer guy, yep. and he did a phenomenal job. Yep. And after he left, it went downhill. They, didn't, they just put people there just to, to please somebody, but they're not pushing the craft beer. So, I mean, sorry, Michael, I'm just going to keep calling you out until you get your shit together. That's how it's going to be. Well, you know, <laughs> and I, I think that. The, all the distributors will have no choice once we get more of a grassroots yeah. movement from the consumer, you know, and, and giving the consumer an easy way to express their desire mm-hmm. for local craft beer. Because, you know, we've already seen a lot of the, the big regional breweries pull reps out or reduce their, their reps here and their footprint here because local craft beer is, is, is on the rise. There's enough diversity and uniqueness to keep people engaged and the quality is there everybody i think every brewery owner will tell you that yes their beer has continued to get better and you know it's being reflected by the fact that the consumers buying more and more of us and less and less of the big brands people want to drink it i mean you can't tell me out of the hundred thousand plus people that go to an lsu game that if you put craft beer there, it's not going to sell. No. I mean, come on, that's just ridiculous. That's just that's dumb. You yep. shouldn't think like that. Well, and we, you know, craft breweries. Um, you know, until you reach a certain size, it's an incredibly inefficient process. So you employ a lot of people because of that inefficiency. Yeah. Um, so you're you're making a huge contribution to the local economy. Uh, and, and, and you know you're supporting bars, you're supporting truck drivers, you're supporting freight haulers, you're supporting importers. So you know they, they need to focus on the fact that you know people want their money to stay here. Yeah. They don't want it to go to AB InBev no. or some other brewery in another state. Or they want to put country. it back in the community. Yes. I mean yes. It's, it's that simple. And it's not like <clears throat> we're saying 
throw some IPAs and stouts on tap. I mean, everybody like Bayou Bengals a lager. You can do Paradise Park from yep. from Urban South in there. Paris just released a Pilsner. Right. Throw. I mean, that styles that are similar and familiar to what people normally yep. drink. But that's a, a gateway beer to open up their minds to go into craft beer and try some different things. Like, oh, they I didn't realize they made this beer. What else do they have? I mean, it's it's not helping to promote these local businesses. It's just it's hurting them if anything. Just to, the fact that you want to put beer in the stadium and then you have all these local breweries that you're not even considering to throw in there. Well, and you know, it's it's kind of a I think if you look at the long game, it's it's probably a losing battle to continue to place so much emphasis on the the larger, you know, big box brands if you will. Yeah. Uh, simply because their market share is decreasing. Mhm. And the only thing that's bolstering the, the the beer market right now is is craft beer. Yeah. And increasingly, you know, the consumer is considering craft, local craft as either state or, you know, even more so in the city. We were we were up in uh, Seattle uh, a while back and, you know, Karen asked for a local beer and she said, I'll take that. And the guy corrected her. He's like, no, that's not a local beer. That's a Seattle beer. You're not in Seattle. These are local beers. Whoa, okay. <laughs> so, you know, there was, a, there was a very fine distinction in that server's mind that yeah. local meant, you know, the brewery right over there and the brewery right over there. Yeah, two the, blocks down. Exactly. Like, that's local. That's local. All the rest of that stuff is fine, but it's not local. Yeah. It's from, a, it's from another city over there. This, is, this yeah. isn't a Seattle beer. That's, that's, that's awesome, though. That's, that's really cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to ask you and, you and Matt this question. I'm going to start with you first, Mark. What beer is in your fridge right now? Uh, I got a six-pack of a Route 47 Red IPA, uh, a couple Yayu Ripes, and uh, maybe a couple Saisons. Okay, nice. All right, Matt, what's in your fridge? Oh, I, I got a little grab bag. I, I've got a, um, what is it? It's a bourbon barrel-aged toasted coconut teddy bear kisses, which is a Ooh. Russian imperial stout on good. tap in the kegerator. And... Um, Upland's uh, Guava Sour, which uh, it's a mixed firm wood aged sour. It's, I mean, it's just killer. It's it's like a, a B12 shot when you have a pint glass of this stuff. It just makes you feel so good. <laughs> um, that, that's in the kegerator, and then the, the main fridge. We, we've got a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, I've got a actually a, a Brazilian PhD student spending a year in my lab. He gave me some some session IPA from his hometown in Brazil. And I can't pronounce the name of it and can't can't recall it offhand, but I'm I'm excited to try that today. Wow, a Brazilian session IPA. Yeah, that's made, brewed with with his his yeast. Uh, so oh. he, he's a he's also a, a yeast hunter from Brazil, so that's that's why he's he's come to learn the ropes from me. That'd be man, that's fantastic. I'm, you've piqued my interest with yeah. that. <laughs> Love to try yeah. that. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I want to thank both of you guys for being on the podcast today. This has been really awesome and educational for our listeners and for me because I didn't know a lot of this stuff with the yeast. <laughs> Learn something new every day. Uh, Matt, thank you for calling in, sir. We appreciate it and uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend. All right. I had a good time. Thanks, guys. All right. All right thanks, Matt. Matt. Nice talking. Mark, thank you, sir, for the hospitality. We appreciate it. Thank you for making really good beers. We're going to wrap this up and go downstairs and drink more of your beers. That sounds great. We've got a few things in the tank you can probably taste, too. So, Oh, yeah. I'm liking this. <laughs> this is going to be good. All right. But thank cool. you so much, sir. I appreciate it. Uh, look for Second Line Brewing online. They're on Facebook. You guys are on Instagram as well. Of course, yeah. Follow those guys so you can know what's going on at the tap room in the brewery. See what new releases are coming out and stuff. Uh, and 
look, get this beard. Well, where? Let me. I want to make sure it's right. We'd say it again because I don't remember. <laughs> what, with the yeast or the no, beer? no, no, the beer. It's yeah, you right. Yeah, you right. I was gonna say what you right, but that was wrong. <laughs> See, good thing I didn't say that. Yeah, you right. Look for it in New Orleans. On what 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 stores are can they find it in New Orleans? Uh, you know, local spots. Yeah, so, so just the typical places: Whole Foods, uh, a lot of Conseco's, uh, you know, Steins. Um, the local the local places: Five Hundred Four Craft Reserve, yeah. Elio's, Aquista Pace, places like that that really try to cater to those people that have a keen interest on local beers. Cool, and you can come to the brewery and get it as well. Absolutely, yep. do that. So, Mark, thank you again. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you guys for listening. This is Chuck P. The ABV Podcast. Until next time, guys. Cheers. Cheers.